I'm ready to go. So you can go. <laughs> I couldn't sit there for another any longer. I'm like Brandon. I get too excited. I'm ready to go. Uh, so uh, turn, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to First Timothy, and this will be the second sermon that we preach in this book. And uh, I am excited about it. I've, I've enjoyed my study up till now. I've really put a lot of time and effort into this, and I want to do it well. I want us to understand what he's teaching here. I want our church to know what the church ought to be. And this is a book about the church. No other book in the entire Bible tells us this much about the church. Uh, it tells us what the church should look like. It tells us what the church should be doing. It tells us what the priorities of this church should be. And, and I, I'm, I'm preaching this because there's so much out there. There's so many churches out there that uh, don't look anything like the church. They don't do things like that the church ought to be doing. Uh, they, they don't look like a church ought to be looking. Their priorities aren't what the church ought, ought to be. So there's a lot of bad stuff out there. I wouldn't even call a lot of that stuff churches. And we need to be very careful that we don't turn into a church that's doing things our own way instead of God's way. So we want to turn to the, this book of 1 Timothy, and we want to learn what the church should be. And I want it to correct us. If anywhere we're, we're wrong, we want to be corrected here. And, and, and we need to learn this. So the first thing, we looked at the greeting last week, and the first thing we're going to look at this week, and, and the first thing on, on, on Timothy, on Paul's priority list, the first thing he's going to bring up here, and, and I found this fascinating. If you're going to write a letter to the church, or a letter to a pastor, and that's what he's doing here, then what's the first thing? The first thing will be the, the most important thing. And what is he going to bring up, first of all, before anything else? He's going to, Paul's going to tell Timothy to protect the church. He's going to tell Timothy to protect the church from, from false teachers. How important must this be if he puts it at, at number one? At the very outset of the book, he says, here, this is your job. You need to protect the church. And it's not just protect the church as in the building and the walls. It is protect the message of the church. If we lose the message of the church, we lose everything. So he tells him here, protect the church. So I'm, I tell the sermon tonight, protecting God's house. And I want us to do that. We need to be a, a church that protects what God has given us here. So let's stand together and let's read verses 1 through 7. We'll just be looking at verses 3 through 7, but I, I want to I kind of build on this. And I want to, uh, for us to learn tonight, and, and for me, to, how to protect God's house. And that's what he's left us here to do. I'm going to say this. I think this is the whole point of, of the sermon. I was going to save it till later, but I, I just can't do it. Uh, it's like trying to give gifts to my kids. I can't wait till Christmas. I always try to do it beforehand. So here's the main point. God didn't give us a job to grow the church. That's his job. He gave us the job of guarding the church. Yeah. If we guard the church, God will grow the church. We've got that all, all mixed up. And we try to grow the church and, and bring all kinds of different things in, and we don't guard it. And it doesn't grow like God wants it to grow. So let's look at this. Protecting God's house. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father, and, the, and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some, that they teach no other doctrine, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned, have turned aside unto vain jangling. What a term. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof what they affirm. So he says here tonight, protect God's house. Let's pray together and I'll show you how we're going to do that. Father, we thank you for the church. And I said last week, and I'll continue to say it throughout this study, I am grieved 
in my heart over what the church in this world has become. And if my heart is grieved, then I know your heart is grieved. And I'm grieved by what's being coming out of these churches, the message that is being taught. There's a lot of silliness, senseless, and even stupid things coming out of the church. So God, teach us tonight. I don't want that here. So please teach us tonight. And that's not just my job as a pastor. It is my job. That's the job of everyone in this church, to protect this church from any false teaching at all. So God, please show us how to do this tonight so that we may guard the church and watch you grow the church. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. I think you know me now. I've been here long enough that you know there's nothing more valuable in my life than my family. I love my wife. I love all five of my kids. We love to spend time together at home. I love to be with them. And God has given me the job as husband, as leader of my home, to protect my family. So I will protect my wife. I'll protect my daughters. I'll protect my sons. That's my job. But when I leave my house and I can no longer protect it, and sometimes I do that. I'll leave and go to work. I'm going to leave this week and go to, to Atlanta for two or three days. And, and when I leave, uh, I, I place somebody at my house or something at my house in order to protect my house. I've got a German shepherd, and that German shepherd's job as a guard dog, a watchdog, is to protect my house when I'm away. That's what the the dog does. She's a a great watchdog. It's her natural instinct. It's her job that when I'm away to protect our house. She protects the ones on the inside, and she keeps others on the outside that shouldn't come in. That's what she does. told you a story last week about all all these times that that these people will come, salesmen will come to our door, and there comes Marley, a 120-pound German shepherd, jumping up at the window and I love watching these little salesmen run back to their car scared to death of my German shepherd. She's good at it. It's her natural instinct to keep people away from our house. You can ask Corey. He's downstairs now. He doesn't come anywhere near my house because my Marley loves to, to bark and to scare Corey. That's her job. That's what she does. And, and, and I listened to a podcast just a few weeks ago about how a pastor's job is very similar to a watchdog. To a guard dog. I had never seen it that way before, but I, I, saw, I saw those things go hand in hand, and I, I agree. There's nothing more valuable to Christ than His church. He died for His church. He loves His church. He looks down on His church, and, and His heart goes out to His church. And when He ascended and, and went to heaven, He left here pastors to be the guard dog and the watchdog of the church. That's what He left them to do. And a pastor ought to have this natural instinct and, and a duty to protect the people that God has given him. John Calvin said a pastor must have two voices, one to gather the sheep and one to ward off and drive away the wolves. Martin Luther said a pastor must have teeth in his mouth. I like that. Teeth for what? To be able to fight is what he said. And I think that's exactly what Paul's telling Timothy in these first four verses of, of, of this of, of first Timothy here. It's number one on his list. He's telling Timothy, you, you've got to be like a a guard dog. You've got to be like a, a watchdog. We've, we've left you there at the door to guard this church. And this church is, is under attack. Already. I mean, let, let me ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20 real quick. Acts chapter 20. I want to show you what Paul said when he left Ephesus. He's the one who planted it. He's the one who started it. He was the one who's there for three years. And then when it, in Acts 20, he leaves and this is what he says. Acts 20 verse 28, he says, Take heed therefore, 
unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after I depart, shall grievous wolves enter in among you and not spare the flock. Also of your own selves from within shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So he says in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember, by the, but by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And then five years later, after those words right there were written, and Paul said these things, the church now has wolves on the inside. That's why he's writing First Timothy. Exactly what he said in Acts chapter 20 as he walked away from the church has now happened on Timothy's watch. The wolves are on the inside. The trouble has come. And this church now, as he's writing First Timothy, is in, is in grave danger. And Paul writes here in these, in these first little few verses here that, it, Timothy, now it's your job. I've left you there to do a job and you're not doing it. And now it's your job. It's your duty as, as a pastor to be the watchdog. To be the guard dog. To, to be what God has called you to be. To do what God has called you to do and protect God's house. That's the message. That's what he's telling him here in these first few verses. And, and, and in, these, in these verses, Paul gives him three very basic commands on how to watch the church. How to guard the church. So I want to go through these, and, and I said it on Wednesday night, I didn't mean to do it this way, but the commands are very short, very sweet, very simple, and it's a command you'd almost give to a dog. And I'm going to give you three words. Commands that Paul tells Timothy, here's what you do as a guard dog of the church. And I don't think it takes a seminary degree to protect a church, but it does take a lot of courage. So let's look at these three commands that he gives him on how to protect God's house. Number one, I think it's the first thing you tell a guard dog. Stay. <laughs> That's what he tells him. Stay. I want you to stay. Look at verse three. He says, as I besought thee to abide still, uh, see there word, abide still at Ephesus. I want you to stay. See, this church, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background because this is a real church with real people and real problems. This is a church at Ephesus. It should be familiar to all of us. There's no other church in the, in the whole Bible that we have so much information on. We have its birth in Acts chapter 18 through 20. We have the book of Ephesians that, that Paul wrote and the church was doing great at that time. We have First and Second Timothy written to the pastor at Ephesus. And then you have Revelation chapter 2 when the church is dying. So you have five times in, in the Bible that's talked about the church at Ephesus. Ephesus. It's a great church. It's one of the best of the day. But again, we see false teachers inside the church. Not in the pews, but in leadership. Paul had already thrown out two of them. Look at verse 20. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul kicked them out. But there's more in now. And Timothy's struggling. He's young. He's timid. He's in a bond. He's, he's, he's not up to it. He's intimidated. He's, these people are hard to deal with. He's unsure. He knows what could happen. If, if, I, if I approach these people and try to stop them from teaching these things, they may run me off. I'm just feeling what Timothy's feeling here. So the solution for Timothy may be he wants to leave. I'm just saying that. If, in order for Paul to tell Timothy, stay, Timothy might have written Paul a letter and said, I'm out of here. It's too hard. 
These people are, are, are giving me a hard time. And, and there's a church across town that, that invited me to, to, to come and, and preach there. And they said, no false teachers here. And it'll be great. The grass is greener over here, Timothy. Leave Ephesus and go to another church. Maybe he's here and you need to go plant a church somewhere. It would be so much easier if you just start you another one. And maybe he feels that way. It would be easier to leave. I'm out of here. This wasn't easy for Timothy. And this is a real temptation. He felt like giving up. You've got this kind of stuff happening in your church. It's easy to just wave the white flag and say, I'm out of here. When I read this, I felt this. I don't know if you guys are with me on this. I've been here. Well, there's been things happening in the church when you go home on Monday and you think, I can't take another Sunday like that. It's time for me to just wave the white flag, send out a resume and find me another church. i got to go. I think that's what Timothy's feeling here. So Paul writes to him and says, I, I, I beseech you. That's what he says in verse 3. I, I beg you. I'm urging you. I'm calling you. I'm, I'm pleading with you. I like the word. It means to come alongside, to help, to encourage. He's saying, don't, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't throw in the towel. Stay where you are. That's what he's saying here. I'm, I'm begging you. I'm, I'm urging you. I'm, I'm pleading with you. Don't leave here. Abide still. Stay where you are. Abide. Stick it out. Stick around. Remain. Continue. Attach yourself to that place and don't you dare leave it. I know it's hard, Timothy. I know you want to leave. I know you want to run. I know they're, they're giving you a hard time, but I need you to stay. Stay where you are. Don't throw in the towel. Don't retreat. Paul's encouraging Timothy here. I think Paul's giving him the strength to fight. Maybe Timothy again wrote Paul and said, I, I can't take it anymore. I'm, I'm, I've, I've got to go. This is too hard. And his head is bowed and he's ready just to give up. And, and Timothy and Paul's writing Timothy back saying, don't you dare leave. Stay where you are. Encouraging him. Give him a strength to, to stay on. He, and he's saying things like, I believe in you here. I, I'm, I, I'm, you're the man for the job. And this is good. I think people need encouragement just to stay where you are. You can do this. Don't give up yet. Stay. People need to stay. You need a pastor to stay. And I'm not just begging you to keep me here. I think the longer a pastor stays, the better it is. Stay. It's good for a pastor to stay. It's good for the people to stay. It's good not to leave. I know there's a time to leave, but here Paul tells Timothy, now's not the time to leave. I need you to stay. Like I would look at Marley as I leave, and I do that every morning. She sits at the door as I'm walking out at, at 4.50 in the morning. I'm leaving, and I, I'm shutting the door behind me, and I pet her on the head, and I say, stay. And she looks up at me and watches me as I drive away. And Paul's telling Timothy, stay. Don't you leave there. There's such a valuable lesson here for pastors to stay, for people to stay. Don't run as soon as it gets hard. I know there's a time to leave. I know there's a time that you need, you, you, a pastor should leave and, and people should leave the church. But the, the, the first instinct ought to be stay. So he tells him to stay. That's point one. Point number two, he tells him to stop. And if you move on there, he says, I want you to stay at Ephesus. 
when I went to Macedonia. And then he says, that thou mightest charge some that they don't teach any, that doctrine anymore. That's what he says. I want you to stop something here. This is a, a strong command. If he tells him to stay at the church, now he's telling them to at the church to stop the false teachers. That's what he says. I want you to stop the false teachers. And, and the stop there would be, I charge you. And that's a, that's a strong word there. It's a, a military command. It's, it's forceful. He's telling you, I want you to, to tell certain men to stop teaching in the church. He says that. I want you to charge some. Paul knew who they were. Timothy knew who they were. They didn't name them here, but these are specific people and he's telling them, I want you to go to them and command them that they can no longer teach in your church. So what he's saying here is, and this, <laughs> this is probably the toughest part of the sermon. I want you to go and fight. I want you to take a stand. I want you to engage in battle. I want you to confront them. I want you to be courageous. Timothy, I want you to stop being a coward and I want you to play the man. Step into the arena and do what you've been called to do. This is time for a face-to-face -face with these men. With these certain men who are teaching strange things in the church, you go to them and you don't do face-to-facebook. -face you do face-to-face -face and you tell them they can't teach there anymore. You put them on the no-preach list. That's tough. This is going to be a standoff. Somebody, get this, this is written to Timothy. Timothy's sitting in his office and, and he gets this letter from Paul and, and Paul's telling him, stay where you are and stop these men. Paul knows who they are. Timothy knows who they are. And Paul and Timothy's sitting there reading this saying, I've got to go to, to them. And I've got to talk to them. I know who they are. We've been in church together. I know their wives. I know their kids. I know them. And I've got to go to them and somebody's going to leave the church. Get that. Somebody is. This is one of those old western face-offs where somebody's going to draw. <laughs> Tumbleweed goes. <laughs> and, and you know, somebody's going to, somebody's got to go. There's Timothy. That's what he's telling him to do. It's going to take a lot of courage for Timothy to go to these men. I can't imagine. Paul saying, don't let them run you off that easy. Don't you dare let the false teachers win in that church. They may run you off, but you don't back down. You go to them face to face, and you tell them what I'm telling you to do right here. Scary. Dangerous. Necessary. This needs to happen in churches. And I'm afraid this is one of the things you never see happen in churches. You hardly ever see a face-off. He's telling him, take the gloves off, Timothy. Show some teeth. Somebody's at your door, and you need to jump up on that door and say, you ain't coming in here. And then Paul tells Timothy exactly what to stop. And we're going to go down this list, and it'll take me a few minutes. I want you guys to bear with me. I did my best to make it as simple as I can to tell you what they were teaching. There's four things here that he gives that they were doing, and he's telling you, you've got to stop this. And so he comes in, he says, charge them not to teach that anymore. And I'm going to go down this, just through these verses, and give you four things that they were teaching. They were teaching strange things. They were teaching senseless things. They were teaching silly things. And they were teaching stupid things. 
You guys can write that down. They were teaching strange things, senseless things, silly things, and stupid things. Watch what it says. Charge them that they should teach, and I'll say this before I even get into this. You, you listen to a lot of preaching in churches today, and there's a lot of strange, senseless, silly, stupid things coming out of the pulpits of churches. So he says, I want you to stop these things. The first thing is the strange things. He says that you might charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And there's no other doctrine here would be the, the strange thing. He says, I want you to charge them, tell them, for, forbid them from teaching strange doctrine. Which would be something other than the truth. Something other than that, that, that which lined up with the, the, the right things. So we, this is strange. It's not the, the simple things. It's not the right things. It's not the biblical things. It's not the apostles' doctrine. They're teaching something other than that. They're teaching something very strange. They're teaching something that, that doesn't come from the Bible. They're teaching something that didn't come from the apostles. They're teaching something that is, is false, that doesn't go up to standard, and that is an error. They're teaching something wrong. You say, what is it? <laughs> it would take me five sermons to try to understand, for me even to study what it is. But I'll give you one thing. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And here's what I think they were teaching that is strange. Forbidding to marry... And commanding to abstain from meats. Is that not strange? So I put the word strange on it. It's other than what the Bible teaches. That you wouldn't teach. They were teaching don't get married and don't eat meat. That's as strange as it gets. We don't know exactly what that was. But it was strange. It was other than the Bible. We do know that, that, that it didn't line up with what the word of God says. And I'm just going to apply that, that there's a lot of strange things being taught in churches today. There's a lot of strange things that just don't add up. A lot of strange things that are other than what the Bible teaches. I can listen to a lot of sermons out of, out of a lot of churches, and, and I'll, I'll listen and I'll say, hmm, that was awfully strange. That didn't come from this. That didn't come from here. That didn't line up. That's other than what the Bible teaches. We can't let that happen in church, in our church. If it doesn't line up, it shouldn't be taught. So there's the strange teachings. Let me go to the senseless teachings. He says down there in verse 4, Neither give heed to, I like the word heed to, neither give heed to, which is don't spend time on, don't focus on, don't devote yourself to, don't get off track. Don't take your eyes off the truth and, and go to these, these things. This is the senseless things. And what was it? Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. I spent hours trying to figure out what fables and endless genealogies are. Fables are made-up stories. Gracie's doing fables right now in school, and it's just silly, made-up stuff that makes no sense whatsoever. And genealogies is just a long list of, of a family line, and, and they say that, that somebody was in their teaching out of the genealogies and pulling names out and making up stories about these people and preaching sermons on them that nobody had any idea if they were true or not. And he calls them endless genealogies. I, I can hear Paul saying this, endless genealogies. 
They just keep on and on and on and on with all this made up, senseless, I mean, it's, it's nonsense. I, I don't know where it comes from. Why are they teaching it? It does no good. Don't let them do this. Don't get sidetracked on the senseless things. You can hear the frustration in his voice. These things might have been creative. We don't know exactly what they were. They might have been interesting. Hmm. That's an interesting story about a fable or a genealogy. They might have been entertaining. I can imagine Timothy getting up and just, just going verse by verse through the Bible and, and, and just t- taking it uh, you know, very slowly and, and very methodically and, and working his way through it. And, and people in the pews may say, well, that's boring. And then somebody else gets up and says, let me tell you a, a, a fable. He's going off on stories and going off on, on genealogies and on and on and on. And people sitting there saying, now that's interesting. We like that. He says, don't, don't do that. That stuff's useless. Look what he says. Let's keep going. He says, that stuff doesn't do anything but minister questions. And doesn't edify anybody. You can tell a lot of teaching by its fruits, Jesus said in Matthew 7. Does the teaching build people up and edify them? Or does the teaching lead to more questions than answers? He says here that that senseless teaching, all it did was cause speculation. All it did was cause confusion. And and people would hear that stuff and it would be controversial. And and they they would talk about it and they would fight about it. And it was a distraction in the church. Nobody benefited from it. Nobody's better. Nobody's more godly. No lives are being changed. It's senseless. Waste of time. It led to just a bunch of confused people. So ask that question. And I have to ask that question about what I teach. Is what I'm teaching causing confusion and speculation and controversy and, and distraction and for people to question? Or does our teaching here cause people to grow in their faith? Does it make them more godly? The whole goal of what we teach here should be to make everyone in here more godly than what they, used, what they were when they came. The goal of teaching is edification, is, is godliness, is to build you up, build you up in the faith. And he says this stuff here, this senseless stuff, it isn't building anybody up. Nobody's growing. Nobody's more godly. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't give time to these things. So stop the made up teaching. Stop the stories. And you hear that all the time. There's more stories and sermons today than there are scripture. Just going on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And it makes a lot of people laugh and it brings a lot of people to the church. But when they leave those doors, they're no better than when they came in. He says, stop that stuff. Stop it. Stop the strange teaching that doesn't line up. Stop the the senseless teaching that doesn't grow anybody. He gives you another one. Stop the silly teaching. And I want to jump down to verse 6 and do the silliness. He says, from, from which some have swerved, having turned aside into vain jangling. You say, where do you get the word silly? I, I've read the word vain jangling and I thought, that's a silly phrase. You know, the word, you know what he's talking about here? They swerved aside unto vain jangling, which is meaningless talk, fruitless discussion, worthless. Vain jangling. It's just, get this what this is. It's a new hobby horse every week. It's whatever's on my, got on my nerves this week, I'm going to preach about it this week. Whatever opinion I have this week, I'm going to preach about it this week. Whatever's going on in the world, I'm going to preach about it this week. And every week there's something new. And, and every week there's a, a new hobby horse. And, and it's one this week and, a, and another next week. And they never stay in one place too long. 
It's just all over the place. It's like a doctrinal wanderers is what they are. They're all over the place with things. They can't stay in one place. They can't teach one thing. One week it could be end times charts. The next week it could be some kind of numerology. You know, I read a thing this week. A, a church was teaching numerology. You say, what's that? They went through the numbers. Just, just one means this. And two means this. And three means this. And four means this. And five means this. And six is the, the number of the devil. Seven is the number of perfection. And eight is, is this. And nine is this. And it just went on and on and on. And whatever they want to say. But what, what good does that do anybody? None of it feeds the soul. It's silly. There's a lot of silly teaching in churches today. A lot of silliness. Next time you see that, tell the church there's a lot of vain jangling going on in your church. <laughs> and the last one, and I'll move on to the last point. A lot of stupid teaching. Again, strange teaching that doesn't line up. Senseless teaching that makes no sense. Silly teaching that, that just is all over the place. And then stupid teaching that they don't even know what they're teaching. Look what it says in verse 7. Desiring to be the teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor what they believe. What kind of teacher is that? They don't, understand, they don't even understand what they're saying. And they don't even understand what they believe. But boy, they'll say it loud and proud. Clueless teachers that are so sure of themselves and so loud, there's nothing worse than confidence and ignorance combined together. So confident that they're right, but so ignorant about what they say. And that's what this is. Understand that the loudest voice isn't always the right voice. The most confident voice isn't always the right voice. It says there they, they speak up. They want to be teachers. They don't know what they say. They don't know what they believe. So stop them. Stop the strange, stop the senseless, stop the silly, stop the stupid things that are being taught in church, in your church, Timothy. Stop them. Put them on the no preach list. Whoever's teaching these things, whatever they are, you need to sit them down. You need to tell them they're not getting up again. They're not getting behind this pulpit again. Stop them. Because all they're doing, you say it doesn't sound too bad, but what they're doing is, and this is so important, they're pulling the church away from the simple, the sound and the scriptural. When you and this happens all the time. You say it's it, it, and it's just so easy. It never starts with the, the really bad stuff from the church. It starts with these these things like this, and it's just pulling our attention away. They're getting up here and they're talking about genealogies and they're talking about fables and they're they're doing some vain jangling and, and they're talking about things they don't even know about. And there's a lot of teaching going on in the church, but all it's doing is pulling away from the simple things of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's pulling away from the Bible. The attention is off on somewhere else and, and on something it shouldn't be on. And if you get pulled in that direction, it ain't far until you're pulled into a false direction. And it ain't too far until you're shipwrecked. You say, what does that mean? Watch this. Verse 19 of the same chapter. Holding faith in a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made a shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander who I delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. These teachers in the church were not where Hymenaeus and Alexander were. But if they're not careful, that's where they're going to end up. They're going to end up shipwrecking those who follow them and taking the whole church down with them if they're not careful. 
So he says, this, is, this can end bad. This can end in a bad place if you're not careful. So you better stop the strange, the senseless, the silly, and the stupid teaching in the church. Because it's taking attention away from the simple in the church. So stop. That's what he says. And I think we've got to take, got to take what he's saying and, and, and stop any of this from happening in our church. If anybody who teaches in this church is pulling us away from the, the, the simple truths of the word of God, they're pulling us in a, in a direction that, that's not godly, and it's not edifying, and it's not building up, and it's not making us more godly, and it's not uh, bringing the church to a place that it ought to be, then they shouldn't be teaching in this church. That's me or anybody else behind this pulpit. We must stop this from happening in our church. Even in just a little, little way. Because then it could end shipwrecking you notice how I did that? Strange, senseless, silly, stupid teaching can end up shipwrecking a church. And the simple truth can make sure the church is sound. Lastly, and this is, I think this is the most important part. He's told them to, to stay at that church, to stop the false teaching. And then he says, the last point, to show love. I think this is important. Because when we do this, <laughs> we call these false teachers out, we confront them. Hey, this happens all the time. I'm, I'm big on making sure that you guys are protected from the false teachers in the world. From people who are drawing you into the strange, the senseless, and the, the silly, and the stupid. Because it can easily not just be behind this pulpit, but it can be on your Facebook feed, and it can be in, in, on your radio, and on your TV, and, and in, your, in your family, and, and with your friends. They can be saying, ooh, watch this, ooh, watch this, ooh, isn't this interesting, ooh, isn't this entertaining. And before you know it, it's getting to your own heads. So you've got to be careful. So what I do is I call this stuff out. That's my job. I guard the church. When I guard the church, I'm guarding the people in the church and I get myself in trouble all the time for calling out that junk. Don't listen to that guy. And you know what they say? Uh, people call me, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know? I'll say, don't listen to her. <laughs> Women can't preach. <laughs> Ain't you mean? You're the most unloving person in the world. I do it. I'll post it on Facebook. This guy's a wolf. He'll tear you up. He'll chew you up and spit you out. Don't do it. Have people come to me and text me and say, should I listen to this guy? No! Don't! And I get called these things. Unloving. <laughs> I've been called that so much. Mean. Critical. Negative. Judgmental. Who are you to say that? Mr. Perfect. <laughs> I'll say thank you to that. But can you imagine my dog running off a dangerous intruder to my house, barking and biting and protecting its home, and people looking at me and saying, that dog is so mean. I would be, you wouldn't dare say that. You'd say, good boy, <laughs> good girl, good dog, you've done your job. But when a pastor does it to protect his flock, He's mean and judgmental and critical. And who are you to say that? So when we do it, and I, I, I agree, people who do call out false teachers can be unloving. <laughs> they can be mean and critical and negative, and they can be judgmental. So we've got to be careful. We can easily become this. We can easily love the fight more than we love the people. Revelation chapter 2. 
when Jesus is talking to the churches at Asia, one of them being Ephesus, the one critique he had of this church, he said, you guys, your doctrine is, you can go read it. Your doctrine is spot on. And you don't allow anybody to teach in your church that shouldn't. But I have this one thing against you. You know, I remember what it was. Lost your first love. We can easily be so in love with the truth, and that's okay, that we begin to love the fight for the truth. I'll say this now, but my dog doesn't hate the intruders. My dog loves the ones she protects. So when we do this, and we call out false teachers, even within the church or outside the church, and we're protecting it, and we're guarding it, and we're watching over it, we must make sure that our motivation is right. And that's what he says here. Look at verse 5. Now the end of the commandment. And I love this. I, so many people have missed this in, in, in preaching it and translating it. But it says, now the end of the commandment. What's the commandment? The first command that he gave him the commandment of, and I would draw a line from the commandment because it goes with the, the charge of verse 3. Do you see that? I would draw an arrow from the commandment to the charge. These two words are, are so similar. The commandment is the charge. He's going back up to verse 3 and saying the goal or the motivation or the end of that command I just gave you to stop the false teaching. I like that. The aim of all this, the reason we're doing this, the reason I commanded you to stop it is charity. It's a loving thing. We do this out of love. We protect the church from false teachers. And our motivation isn't we love the fight. Our motivation is we love God. We love His truth. We love His people. A good guard dog will show its teeth, will bite, will bark, yes. But they say his tail will always be wagging because of the love it has for its master. I like that. My dog protects my house not because he hates the intruder and loves the fight because she doesn't. But boy, does she love the people in that house. And I think she might love Hallie more than anybody else. She'll curl up around that little baby. She'll let that baby play with her face and pet on her hair. But boy, you mess with that little baby, you mess with that dog. Well, she loves him. And that's what a good pastor is. Not because he loves the fight, because no pastor I know that has the right heart doesn't love the fight. He loves the people. He loves the truth, and he loves God. And that's why he wants to stop the strange, the senseless, the silly, and the stupid. He says that the end is, the goal is love, charity. That's why we do what we do. I know a lot of people don't see that. But when you're protecting a church from a wolf, it's the most loving thing that you can do. And it must come from, and he's telling him here, it must come from, this love must come out of a, and he says that, here's your motivation, it must come from out of a, and I love these three things, and I'll close with this, out of a what? Timothy, check your motivation. 
I like this. Anytime I'm, I feel the need to call out a false teacher. I've, I've not done this, but I will from now on. Anytime I feel the need to protect you from a wolf. Anytime I feel the need to protect you from some errant church out there that's drawing in Christians. And there's many of them. There's churches all across Big Stone who are luring people in. Come to our church and, and, and it'll be laid back and we'll have, we'll have coffee church and we'll, we'll do all these easy things and it won't be hard preaching like your pastor. Has your church been mean to you? I can hear those ads now. Come to our church. It would be so nice. It's, it's out there. You've got to watch for it. So anytime I, from now on, whenever I feel the need to call out a, a false church or a false teacher who's pulling in people in my church, Here's where my heart will be. Understand this. This will be my heart. It must be my heart or I'm doing it wrong. Timothy, you better do this when you go face to face and you're going you're gonna to face off with the, the false teachers in the church. You better have this or you're doing it wrong. Look what he says. You say, Josh, this is just for you. Maybe it is. Now the end of the commandment is love. It must come out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. you got to have those three things. And I'm going to describe to you what they are. A pure heart is the inner man. The pure heart is where your motives come from. So before you call out anybody, before you post it on Facebook, this guy's a wolf, before you preach about it in church and say, stay away from this, it must come from a deep down pure motive within the church, within your heart. You must have pure motive. You must make sure your heart is pure. You must make sure it's not coming from a, a place of anger or a place of bitterness or a place of, of competition with that church or that teacher. It must come from a pure heart that says, I love my people, I love the truth, and I love God, and that's why I'm doing it. If you don't have a pure heart, don't call them out. That's the first one. Pure heart. I've seen people out there, they have ministries, para-church ministries. And their whole job is to call out false teachers. And it comes from a place, not of a pure heart, but of pure meanness. <laughs> you ever heard somebody called that? They see a kid and they say, that's pure meanness right there. <laughs> I never once was called that. <laughs> Been called a lot of things, but never pure meanness. I've seen that. You guys, you've seen that. Just mean, hateful, angry, ready to fight all the time. Can't come from that. Has to come from a pure heart. Has to come from a place of love. That I love God and His truth and His people so much that I have to do this. I don't want to do this. I have to do this. Timothy, you have to do this. And it has to come out of a, of a, of a pure heart. I'll give you another one. It has to come from a clear conscience. You know what a clear, you know what a conscience is? That's my eternal, internal compass. That's my, uh, the, the thing within me that says, don't do that. <laughs> don't go there. Don't say that. We all have one. You can sear your conscience. You say no to your conscience enough, it won't talk to you anymore. I, I, I've described it this way that we have, we have, an angel, you've seen those cartoons, an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. And my conscience is that angel saying, don't do that, Josh. Don't post that. <laughs> don't comment there. 
And you got, you got your flesh over here on the other shoulder saying, yeah, I'll do it. And if you listen to your flesh long enough and not your conscience, sooner or later you won't have a conscience anymore. I think we're living in a nation right now that has a seared conscience that doesn't even listen anymore. So he says it has to come from a clear conscience. Don't do it without a clear conscience. If you're tempted to call them out and you've got the conscience on you saying, don't, don't, don't. And you say, I'm going to do it anyway. You're doing it wrong. It must come from a, you like that illustration? I watch cartoons. It's a good one. It must come from a pure heart and a clear conscience. I'll even say this. It must come from a clear conscience in that when you call these people out, you're going to have to make sure that your life is as clean as it can be. Because they're going to go nitpicking through your life. I've seen it happen. You call out a false teacher and all of a sudden they're looking at everything in your life saying, well, let's see if we can find something on you. Let's go through your sermons and see if there's something wrong with your sermons. Let's, let's see if your doctrine's all like it should be. Let's see if your marriage is all like it should be. Let's check your kids out and see if they're walking in the faith. Let's see. Let's, let's watch you for a little while. Let's ask your friends how you talk and what kind of jokes you tell. Let's see about you, big boy. So before you do it, you better have a clear conscience. Timothy, they're going to go knocking on your door, man. You better have a clear conscience. Don't do it without a clear conscience. Don't do it without a pure heart. Don't do it without unfeigned faith. I say it here. It takes a lot of faith to confront a false teacher in the church. It don't take a seminary degree to confront false teachers. But it does take a lot of faith. Why? Because when you do, they're going to say a lot of mean things about you. Timothy confronts these guys. They're going to say, Timothy, you're too young. Timothy, you don't understand. Timothy, you're power hungry. Timothy, you're just trying to take over this church, ain't you, buddy? Timothy, you just want the, you just want the thermostats all to yourself. <laughs> when a false teacher is confronted, they're going to back you into a corner and they're going to come out swinging. You better believe they are. They're going to attack your character. They're going to scrutinize every area of your life. And Timothy must have all three of these things. A pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. But I believe faith is the most important one. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to know, God wants me to do this. God left me to do this. And God will take care of me in doing this. And I want to trust him. God will be faithful to me. We've been that, through that in this church. And I've stepped up into this pulpit on a business meeting. Knowing. I, I, I went through the notes. I, I, I had my notes detailed in my, in my office of what I said in that meeting. Without even knowing this passage. I stood up here and I said, here I am and I can do no other. God wants me to do this. God left me to do this. And I believe that God will take care of me in doing this. And we can sit here tonight as a church and know that God has taken care of us in this. Timothy knew this was going to shrink the church. You know that, right? 
Timothy closes this letter from Timothy, and he's going to walk in, in, out of his office, and he's going to go confront these guys, and there's going to be a mano a mano face-to-face with whoever these men are, certain men, so it's, just, it's more than one. He's going to have maybe even, I don't know if he has anybody on his side. It could be two-on-one. It could be three-on-one. And he's going to go confront them, and he's going to say, you guys can't teach no strange and senseless and silly and stupid things anymore. And most likely, these three guys are going to leave the church, and they're going to take a bunch of people with them. It's going to shrink the church. But again, here's the main point. It's not Timothy's job to grow the church. It's Timothy's job to guard the church. And if you guard the church, you won't always be able to grow the church. Guarding the church often shrinks the church. But he's going to have to have the faith to say, I'm going to do it anyway. This is what God's called me to do. This is what God wants me to do. And God will take care of me when I do this. Even if people leave, even if families leave, even if these certain men take their wives and they take their kids and they, they, they start pulling other people in the church to try to go with them and they, they go start them a church somewhere else out there, I trust that God will take care of me here in what I'm supposed to do. He left me to guard the church and I will guard the church. That's the faith that is unfeigned. So again, if we're ever going to call out false teachers, whether inside the church or those outside the church, we have to make sure we have these three things. We have to show love in protecting God's house. So how do we apply all this? I've got two things that we're going to apply. Number one, we protect this church. Sounds like an Under Armour commercial. We must protect this house. We must be a church dedicated to the truth. And when we are, understand this, a church that's dedicated to the truth will always be under the attack of error. Can I say that again? Ephesus was a pillar and ground of truth. Paul started it, Acts 18, 18, 19, and 20. Paul wrote to it in in Ephesians. And Paul spoke so highly of it in in the letter to to Ephesus. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, here this is such a great church. And this church is standing for the truth. Any church that stands for the truth is in danger of being attacked by error. This church will be attacked by error. Because we're taking such a strong stand for the truth. We're preaching such a strong message. And you must demand that from the church. You must constantly be on guard of the pulpit of this church, of the Sunday school teachers in this church. If we see it, we stop it. We stay to the simple, we preach the gospel. As a church, you must demand of me and anybody who ever stands in this pulpit that they we hold you to a higher standard than any other church. Preach this book and nothing else. So you... Me, we protect this house. Second, you must protect yourself. This may be the most important thing I say tonight. This is me with what I believe to be a pure heart, clear conscience, and unfeigned faith saying these things. Whatever gets into the individual's gets into the church. So it's not just about protecting this and what's said here. It's about what's protect what's in here for you and what gets in here for you. If you let it in, when you walk in through these doors, it's coming into the church. So you must protect you, yourself, and your family every single day. 
Husbands must leave the home and say, none of this garbage is going to come into our house. Stop this, this, and this. Parents, you must look at your kids and say, there's certain things we're not going to listen to. There's certain music that we're not going to allow. And I'm not even talking about the, the, the secular music. There's, there's certain ungodly Christian music out there that we're going to have to look at our kids and say, if all the other kids are doing it, we're not listening to that stuff. It's not allowed in our house. We have to protect our kids. We have to protect our homes. We have to protect ourselves. So don't like it. Don't follow it. Don't encourage it. Don't listen to it. Don't read it. Don't sing it. Stop it in your own lives. I can't stop all the faults out there. But I can't stop it from getting to me. And I can't stop it from getting to Steph. And I can't stop it from getting to Gracie Bell. And I can't stop it from getting to Isaiah. And I can stop it from getting to Christian. And I can stop it from getting to Emma. And I can stop it from getting in the ears of Hallie as she grows up. I can be the the guardian and the protector of my little house. And you must do the same in your own house. Because what gets in you gets in here. I can turn it off. You must turn it off. Stop it. For your own sake. It's time for all of us. You guys are sitting there listening and saying, this is all for Josh. No. <laughs> it's time for every single one of us. In a world, Matthew 24, that is, is deceiving and being more deceived. It's time for every single one of us to show some teeth. It's time for every single one of us to have a little bark. <laughs> it's time for all of us to be able to fight. Or our church can be overrun by this stuff. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. And that's what it's telling me. And that's what I'm telling you. There's a lot of silly stuff out there. And it ain't coming in here. I I can't protect much. But I can protect my family. And I can protect this pulpit right here. But I can't do it for you. All that stuff you see on social media. Turn it off. There's a lot of silliness on there. There's a lot of senseless on there. There's a lot of silliness on there. There's a lot of strange. (laughs) A lot of strange. A lot of strange. A lot of strange. There's a lot of stupid. And you better be very careful it doesn't get in your home or in your heart. We need a bark, we need a bite. We need a little thought about us. But it must come from a place of love. One quote. John Calvin said this. Even a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw God's truth attacked and I remained silent. You want to hear that again? Love that quote. I think about it all the time when I'm tempted to be, be silent about something. I think of Marley, my German shepherd. Even, a, even she barks when her family is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw God's truth attacked and I didn't say something. A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw God's truth attacked and I remained silent. So it's time for us to be a good guard dog. 
for the truth, and for the house of God. That God may look at us one day and say, and that, that's what I want. This isn't in my notes, I'm done. I think we all want to stand before God one day and say, him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But all I want as a pastor is that I stand before God one day and I will give an account to him. Josh, you've done a good job protecting the people I gave you. Good boy. That's all I want. And I hope and I pray that every time I do it, it comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and unfeigned faith. Because we must protect God's house. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard sermon to preach tonight. Number one on Paul's priority list, protect the message. Without the message, we have nothing. So help us to do that. Help me to do that, God. This is, this is for me. Protect this church. And I can pray, God, protect this church, but you're going to come back to me and say, I left you there to do that. So help me to protect this house. And when I say this house, I mean West End Baptist. But I also mean this pulpit. And I also mean the people in the pews. I don't want to see their faith shipwrecked. I don't want to see them swerving, the passage says, going in the wrong direction, following the wrong things. So God, please help me to do that and help what we teach here to be edifying, to build up, to make the people in the pews more godly. That's what we want. That's the goal of teaching. Not just information, but transformation. That we would be more godly from what we hear in this church. So God, help us to do that. And thank you, God, for this book, First Timothy. It's been good for me. It's been encouraging for me. It's been um, confidence building in me. I pray it'd be the same for the people in this church. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.